everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka hopefully the new offensive play caller for the Memphis Tigers football team. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing good. Um, I'm just ready to get started. Yeah, I feel you on that. When we got a cool show for you guys today, we are going to, of course, recap Week Ten action, but we're also going to talk about the interesting debate of if it is harder to be a starter in the NFL or a backup, an argument that took place this past week, and I'm interested to get your perspective on it. Um, We're going to move on to the uh, NBA. Of course, we're going to talk about Staples Center getting a new name, which just does not feel right for me. And then we're going to close out the show with Survivor Series 2021 predictions. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. All right, so for the last couple of weeks, we have kind of um, taken a bit of a hiatus from our college football player spotlight, but that is changing. We are back this week, and this time we are going to show some love to senior Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Now, while Kayvon Thibodeau has been getting a lot of pop as the um, draft's best edge rusher, Hutchinson has made a big name for himself over the course of the season. So far, he already has 42 tackles, two pass deflections, nine sacks, and two forced fumbles. Ethan, in the NFL, you know that teams can never have too many edge rushers. So what team do you think should be looking at Aiden Hutchinson? I think the team that should look at him is the team that's in Michigan, the Detroit Lions. Um, This is, in my opinion, this is a draft class that doesn't have a clear-cut number one definitive quarterback. And I feel like they could potentially ride Jared Goff for another year to maybe a better quarterback class. And I think that these Lions team, that could go the route that the Cleveland Browns did um, a couple years ago when they just took the best available, one of the best available prospects, and they took Miles Garrett. Um, It never hurts in today's NFL to have an elite pass rusher. So I will go with the Lions. I can see that. I'm going to go with another NFC team, and I'm going to say the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. They are blessed with having three first-round picks, which I mean – Nobody will ever complain about that. Of course, it's still to be determined where they're actually going to land. But, I mean, if they're able to get within that top ten and if Hutchinson is on the board, I think that it will make a lot of sense to get him. We know that Fletcher Cox is great. Brandon Graham is very good. Josh Sweat is showing production. But those first two guys and your best pass rushers, they're getting a bit long in the tooth. They're getting a bit up there in age. And you want to be able to have replacements for them, especially when they inevitably do decide to retire. Hutchinson will be a really big boost to their front seven, which has been up and down these last few years, but also help out their uh, pass coverage, especially because it's hard for a quarterback to throw balls correctly or properly if they have a lot of pressure coming in their face. So I think the Eagles will make a lot of sense. But all right, let's go ahead and look back at week 10, a week that I can't wait to forget. Starting with the Thursday night football game, my Ravens got their butts kicked by the Miami Dolphins 22 to 10. The Lions and Steelers tie at 16. Um, Seattle Seahawks are shut out by the Green Bay Packers and the returns of Russell Wilson. Uh, the Washington football team upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 29 to 19. Titans edged out against the Saints 23 to 21. Cowboys beat the Falcons 43 to 3. Um, Patriots kicked the Browns butt 45 to 7. Bills get back on track beating the Jets 45 to 17. Colts beat the Jags 23 to 17. Vikings beat Chargers 27 20. Panthers beat Cardinals 34 10 
Eagles beat Broncos 30 to 13. Chiefs beat Raiders 41 to 14. And the 49ers defeat the Rams Monday Night Football 31 to 10. After week 10, I went 8 and 5. Ethan went 7 and 6. And luckily, there weren't too many injuries, but there was a big one at the top. First of all, um, Washington loses star um, young defensive end Chase Young for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Also hitting Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick, after suffering a hip injury very early in the season, it's been announced that he will not be able to come back for the rest of the season, meaning that it's Tyler Taylor Heineke's time and running back Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers is going to be out for the next one to two weeks with the MCL sprain. So Ethan, we know how impactful that Chase Young was for this Washington defense last year, and he still was kind of getting in the ebbs and flow of things this season. How big of a blow is it, do you think, to lose Young in this season? I think it's a huge blow simply because the thing that the Washington football team was known for was having a dominant front seven, and Chase Young was a very key piece to that front seven. He was a guy that, you know, like this season, he might not have had the greatest of stats. Like he's only had like maybe one and a half sacks so far this season, or somewhere along the like ramp lines of four sacks so, so far this season. But he's a guy that you have to account for. He's probably not getting as many sacks because he's now seeing double teams that he wasn't actually seeing in his rookie season. And when you have a guy that gets double, you're opening up other passing lanes and rushing lanes for other members of their defensive line. So I think it's a huge blow just given the fact that there is a defensive first team and he's their best defensive player. I would definitely agree. Like you mentioned, you know, his numbers are a bit down from last season. But, I mean, he is creating more opportunities for other defenders. We know that when healthy, the front lines of the uh, Washington football team are one of the best in the league. Jonathan Allen has been very good. Deron Payne, Montez Sweat when he's healthy, and of course Chase Young. And now losing Chase Young, I think that that's going to be a big blow. While they do still have talent in that front, I do think that there's really not anyone, um, especially on the edge, who's going to take away as much attention as Chase Young did. So hopefully for a speedy recovery, and it'll be interesting to see how Washington is able to um, overcome that. But all right, Ethan, what yeah, were your stats here too? If you yeah, want, if yeah, you please reference. do. He has twenty six combined tackles and one and a half sacks. Yeah, because I know he had gotten his first sack just a few weeks ago. Yeah, like it had been he went a while without a sack, but I mean, still a very impactful player. All right, so what would you say were your top three takeaways of this past week? <laughs> top three takeaways are: uh, it looks like the Chiefs have finally found their mojo. Um, I think a big part to do with that is it looks like Patrick Mahomes, this game, at least for this game, stopped trying to force big plays. And, you know, when you're a quarterback and teams are taking away big plays, you have to just continue to ride this slow horse and keep dumping the ball down and hitting check downs. And it looks like Patrick Mahomes is doing that. Um, number number two, this is, this is the year of the random. It's teams that going into matchups you would never expect to win. You brought up your Ravens. I, me and you both watched the majority of that game. I was expecting the Ravens to run all over the Dolphins, and they didn't. And um, number number one, um, <clears throat> it's it's weird, but it's like you know the 49ers. Yes, they aren't in the playoff race, but they've beaten the Rams for like five straight games. It's weird. It's like it's always – divisional matchups are always, like, 
competitive, but for some reason, like the Rams, no matter how stacked they are or how injured or bad the 49ers are, they always somehow get their number. It is it is so weird. But hopefully, at the very least, if the Rams lose the next game, I want it to be more competitive because that one was wild. Uh, but I'm actually happy you mentioned that game because that actually leads us to the players we're most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Because I was actually most impressed this week with Jimmy Ward's safety for the 49ers. I'll be the first to say I don't have much love um, for the 49ers secondary. Jimmy Ward, I think that he's an average safety at best. But, I mean, he balled out uh, this past week. Had two picks, including a pick six. Really just proved that... He talks a lot of stuff. He's been one of the most talkative ones in the offseason. While he has not been able to really show it, he showed it on Monday. And, I mean, if you're able to shut down your doubters, especially against a better opponent, that's going to give me some respect. So, I'm going Jimmy Ward. Yeah, I'm also on the Jimmy Ward hype train as far as the defensive side of the ball, everything that you stated. He he had two picks. He was just making plays all around the field. And, I think their defense was a crucial part to them beating the uh, beating the Rams. Absolutely. I mean, especially considering how many drops that the freaking Rams had. The drops were terrible. And then aside from Jalen Ramsey, I mean, the 49ers just had their way with the Rams offensively and defense. It was an ugly game and embarrassing. Luckily, the Rams have a bye, so hopefully they can put this one behind them. But it was rough. All right, now who I was most disappointed by. It hurts me to say this because you all know I love my brother-in-law. But Russell Wilson, I know it was his first game back. I'm sure there was going to be some rust, but this was not a Russell Wilson-like game. Not to totally disrespect the Packers because they actually have been playing pretty well this season, uh, defensively, I mean. But it was just those two picks, no touchdowns, get shut out. It was not what I expected from Russell Wilson. Like I said, even coming back from a hand injury. So I was very disappointed. Hopefully he can bounce back. Um, for me, I was very disappointed in your Baltimore Ravens offensive unit. Yeah, um, you talked you talked about it last week, where and we watched the majority of the game, where they constantly kept throwing screen passes, and those screen passes weren't effective. And it's one of those things to where it's like, if I understand the whole thing, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if it's broke, you have to fix it. You have to change up your play calling. You have to do things differently. And you banged the drum on getting Greg Roman out as office play caller last week. And I think that you are correct because he cost you guys a, a very winnable game just with his play calling. And not to mention, I mean, as you can see, like for anybody watching, the Dolphins blitzed a lot. There was so much cover zero. You're telling me you see that there is the whole middle of the field wide open and your first thought is let's call a freaking screen. Yeah. Neither here nor there. But all right, my rookie of the week. This is a first timer, but I'm going running back for the Patriots, Ramondre Stevenson. I really liked him coming out of Oklahoma. He was actually one of my favorite under the radar draft picks. And with uh, Damian Harris out, he really balled out this past Sunday. Had 100 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, also had 14 yards receiving. Really was just a really nice compliment for the Patriots offense that looked like it was clicking on all cylinders. So shout out to Ramondre Stevenson. And for me, my rookie of the week is his teammate, Mac Jones. He was 19 for 23 for 198 passing yards and three touchdowns. And like we said before, I think he's full of cementing himself as the best rookie quarterback in that draft class. Yeah, I don't even think it's close right now. 
Like, not to say, like, other cool rookies haven't shown strides, but Mac Jones is the one that's like, okay, like, I'm buying what you're selling. But, all right, unfortunately, the Ravens are no longer buying Le'Veon Bell and actually announced their release of him um, earlier this week. Um, Bell appeared in five games for Baltimore this season, rushed for 83 yards on 31 carries, which is about 2.7 yards per carry, and had two touchdowns. Of course, it was not exactly the Le'Veon Bell that we're used to, but with the small sample size that he had in Baltimore, do you think that another team is going to take a chance on Le'Veon Bell this season? No. So I think Le'Veon Bell's time in the NFL has been is done. He doesn't show that burst that he used to have in Pittsburgh. It made him one of the top two-way running backs in the NFL. Um, and it's a, and I understand in today's day and age, running backs come a dime a dozen. But the reason they come a dime a dozen is because you have younger guys that come in and they replace the production of older guys, and it's not the other way around. Typically, the older guys, they come in, and it's like they might have a game or two where they show flashes of them for themselves, but for the rest of the season, it's like they're mediocre at best. And I think that applies to Le'Veon Bell. He had one good game where I think he rushed for like 58 yards, and after that, he didn't do. he hasn't done anything else. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that Le'Veon's going to get signed. Like I mentioned, like this would have been a great opportunity in Baltimore. Yes, we have 50 different running backs, but at the very least, Le'Veon could have done something to kind of differentiate himself um, just because of the versatility that we've gotten so accustomed to seeing. But, yeah, I think that barring some injury to another running back, um, a stud running back, but, I mean, like you mentioned, running backs nowadays kind of come a dime a dozen, so – um, and looking at teams like, for example, Dalvin Cook, if he was to go down, they still have Alexander Madison. If Jonathan Taylor was to go down, they still got Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. And those are two, Christian McCaffrey, they have Chuba Hubbard. I mean, all the other teams with, like, standout running backs already have depth. So I don't – yeah, I don't think it's going to happen for Le'Veon, which kind of sucks just because it's hard to kind of forget just how good he was. But – I mean, that's the NFL for you. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. All right, moving on to an interesting uh, conversation piece. Darius Butler, defensive back for the Indianapolis Colts on the Man to Man podcast, had interesting things to say, saying that it's harder to be a backup than it is to be a starter. Now, after being bashed about his opinion, he said, I said what I said. Interested to hear some other players' thoughts on this. So here are some other opinions. First off, LaShawn McCoy. I think safe to say, going to be a Hall of Famer at some point, said, hell no, it's way easier, bros. Easy, easy to be a backup, y'all tripping. Uh, Fred Taylor, another standout player, said, I agree, and I only seen the headline. Takes another type of focus mentally and physically. I love to go in depth, but I haven't seen the videos. Um, AJ Williams, a backup for the Buffalo Bills, said, from the things I've seen being a back, no, from the things I've seen, nah, being a backup is different. Um, another player said, Talk your talk, DB, supporting him. Another player said, nah, Antoine Bethea, don't nobody want to hear that. LOL, being a backup is definitely harder, especially going from playing all four phases on special teams to to having to go on defense because of an injury or whatever the case, case may be. Believable or buffoonery or just in your opinion, do you think that it actually is harder to be a backup or a starter in the NFL? Difficulty. I think being a starter is difficult because 
first and foremost, you have the pressure of being the person that everyone's holding accountable to make plays and to do your job correctly. And you also have the the um, presence of footsteps behind you and the next man up really wait on you to slip up so they can take your spot. And then being a backup, I think it's incredibly difficult because nine times out of ten, if you're a backup in the NFL, like they stated, you first and foremost, you have to potentially be ready. You have to be ready at all times to potentially take the place of a star in case of an injury, in case they aren't producing the way that we, the way that they should, or things of that nature. And they also have to add it down of playing special teams, and there could be a lot of wear and tear on your body. So I think they both present difficulties. I don't necessarily know which one I would say is harder versus the other because I feel like. You can make the argument for either side. I think that, in my opinion, I think it's like a case-by-case basis. Like, what position are you playing? Like, I feel like for a backup quarterback, it's different than being a backup corner. Especially backup quarterbacks. Like, if you're sitting behind Tom Brady, you know you're not going to see any playing time. Like, it's – I think – like I said, I just think it's a case-by-case basis. Whereas if you're a backup DB, we know that players in the secondary go down all the time. And especially if you are a backup or an inexperienced player, quarterbacks are going to target you quite a bit. And so in terms of pressure, I think that for – like you mentioned with the starter, it's pressure that somebody could be taking your spot. And then it's the media pressure of wanting to make sure that you're doing your job and keeping yourself up. But on the other side, most backups, they don't necessarily have that job security like other starters would. They If they don't have a good practice or they don't have a good game, they could lose their jobs. So it's like I can kind of see both sides of it, but I think I would probably say being a starter is tougher just because you. I think you have more on the line in terms of everybody is watching you, everybody's trying to see what you're going to do. But I can understand the argument for it, but I think I would probably go – I think I would say starter, but I think certain positions have a better argument for that as opposed to others. But all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. You showed some love to Mac Jones a bit earlier, and it seems like a lot of people are jumping on the Patriots bandwagon. Now, last week, Ryan Clark said that this, um, that the Patriots can mess around and win a Super Bowl, and this week, he's saying the Pats will go further than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs this season. Believable or buffoonery? The Patriots will have a better playoff run than the Bucks. I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery because you're putting a lot of faith in the rookie quarterback. Yes, he's been amazing. But we also know that when it comes down to the playoffs, you will see different game plans and different schemes that he might not have seen throughout the regular season. And also, heading into the playoffs, you have a whole regular season worth of game film which you can look at that you can make adjustments to that you can read his tendencies and things of that nature and honestly and honestly and truly as much as I don't like Tom Brady I'm at the point where it's like I'm never counting dude out like he went to Tampa Bay and I was like oh it's cute they're gonna lose and he won a Super Bowl his first year there so I'm not counting out on Tom Brady Uh, and I think Matt Jones does have a bright future, but I don't think that he's going to be this dynamic, oh, we're going to make it to, like, the AFC championship-level quarterback in his first year of the NFL. 
Yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, really, it is the Tom Brady effect. Like, the Bucks secondary has had a lot of problems this year. But even still, I'm taking Tom Brady in the playoffs, which it seems like he's the most comfortable, more comfortable than any other quarterback in history, as opposed to Mac Jones. While Mac Jones has been very solid, seemingly getting better as his um, rookie season goes on, I nothing really beats experience. And no quarterback in this league has more experience in the playoffs than Tom Brady. I think that the Bucks, by the time the playoffs roll around, they're going to get it together. And I think that the – I mean, the Patriots, while I could definitely see them being a playoff team, I said before the year I thought that they were going to be a wild card team. But even still, I would calm down on drinking the Kool-Aid. They look good, but not too good. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to a fellow AFC East team, the New York Jets. Former uh, head coach Rex Ryan, um, I guess, felt some type of way about some comparisons made between him and Robert Sala, the new Jets head coach. Um Recently, uh, Robert, Rex Ryan was quoted as saying, don't ever compare this guy to me with the Jets on a 2-7 and seven record. Um, in response, Robert Sala said, if it's that personal for him, he knows where to find me. I'm not surprised by him. He's always got something to say. Believable or buffoonery, it is offensive for Robert Sala to be compared to Rex Ryan. Um, I think it is simply because Rex Ryan, yes, he's – He's remembered for so many snafus as a head coach. But Rex Ryan is arguably one of the greatest defensive minds in the NFL. He's a guy that if you had him, he's not a great head coach. But if you bring him in as a defensive coordinator, your defense will be drastically improved in a short span of time. And it's also forgotten that when he was a head coach for the, um, for the New York Jets, he had them all the way to the AFC Championship with Mark Sanchez as their quarterback. And he leaned heavily on the defense with Bart Scott and um, Antonio Cromartie. Antonio uh, Cromartie. Darryl Darrell Reeves. Yeah, and Sean Green was his running back. And it was one of those things where it's like when people, when they drafted Sean Green, we were like, who is, who is that guy? And then you look up and he's a thousand yard rusher. So. I think it is some disrespect to compare the two simply because it's like it's Robert Salah's first year as a head coach and Rex Ryan is, in my opinion, probably one of the better head coaches in the history of the Jets. Yeah, I agree. Um, not to mention, not only going to the AFC Championship once, they did it back-to-back years. And then, of course, like you mentioned, Sean Green, then they got LT for that second year. And I will say this, the Jets have not looked good um, excluding that one year with um, oh my gosh, he's the DC for the Bucks now. I'm gonna remember his name when we're not talking about oh, it. He won man, ten games. Uh uh-uh, uh, no. Um, dang, I'm gonna remember when I don't care. Let me look it up. But uh, yeah, cause he he led them to a ten win season when they had Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, yeah. but they didn't make the playoffs. But excluding that, I mean, he Todd Bowles. There we go, Todd Bowles. Yeah, but, yeah, like, since then, though, really Rex Ryan kind of has been the standard bearer for the Jets. Sure, the success didn't last too long. But, I mean, overall, the fact that they had the success that they had, I mean, don't just compare anybody to him, especially because it's been clear that nobody else has really been able to get them that level of success regardless of their personnel. But, all right, talking about success, it has not been that successful of a season for Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield, which leads to the questions of will they, won't they, in terms of extending him. Um, In a recent press conference, 
Um, and, and all for those of you who don't know, when he was playing in the Patriots game, he got hit by Matt Judon and was out for the rest of the game. I think that happened like in the third quarter. But in a recent press conference, he said, yeah, this is probably the most beat up I've ever been in my career. It's not like it's one particular thing. It's multiple. It's just that time of the year. Things add up. You just know a couple of things and things after another. It is what it is. Honestly, it seems like the media is not as sold on Baker as they used to be. Mike Tannenbaum on Get Up, which is on ESPN, said the Browns have to move on from him right now. And even um, another wide receiver, Jarvis Landry, expressed some displeasure saying, I haven't been getting the ball so much either. It seems like the world may be crashing down on Baker, so believable or buffoonery. The Browns should begin the process of moving on from Baker Mayfield. Oh, I think so. Um, simply because they have a very talented team and I don't think that he's the guy. I think that they found their their identity as a run first team. And yes, Baker, he does significantly better when their run game is going. But he's, I think it's one of those situations to where it's like we need a guy that can eat. Can make plays and the running game isn't going because you have talent on the, at their wide receiver court. Like they have Jarvis Landry, um, they have David and Joker, who's a decent tight end. Like they have weapons that you can go to. And I also want to say, like, I don't think it's all Baker's fault. Like their O line isn't the greatest of O lines. Like he's taking the beating this season. And, he had, and he's had numerous of injuries happen because of that O-line. But I do think that, you know, once you get start to get friction in the locker room because of a quarterback, it's time to move on. Yeah, and I think that, like you mentioned, the O-line really hasn't done Baker any favors. But I would also – I look at – I actually spent quite a lot of time talking about Baker Mayfield yesterday with my friend Malik, who, as we all know, is a Browns fan. And – I think that it's just come down to – he pretty much summed it up to where the Browns fans are so used to having terrible quarterbacks that they will just settle for mediocrity. And yeah. right now, Baker is given mediocrity. I mean, right now he only has nine passing touchdowns. He's on track for only 17 passing touchdowns. The chemistry with the wide receivers, not just Odell, but just in general, really has not been there. I mean, most of the passes go to running backs or tight ends. And when the running backs aren't on the field, like a Kareem Hunt – or um, Nick Chubb, the success is not there. And in today's NFL, you how often is it? How many teams are there? It was like, well, you know what? Screw the run game. We want to make this quarterback beat us. And truthfully, I don't think that of the quote-unquote playoff teams or capable teams, there's really another team like that besides the Browns. I mean, one could make an argument for Ryan Tannehill, but even since Derrick Henry's been gone, they've been winning with – Ryan Tannehill playing an impact in that. So, yeah, if I'm the Browns, I think that I would start to move on. Yes, it's not the sexiest quarterback class, but, I mean, think of the potential veteran quarterbacks who could be on the move, such as a Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, um, Aaron Rodgers, players like that who could really make a significant impact. So, yeah, if I'm the Browns, I would be willing to move on. All right, let's go ahead and move on to my Ravens. More specifically, cornerback Marlon Humphrey, who after Thursday's game had some was pretty complimentary of rookie wide receiver Jalen Waddle, who had four catches for 61 yards against us. I don't want to talk about it, but whatever. Uh, Marlon Humphrey took to Twitter and said, Jalen Waddle is going to be top 10 next year. 
that's a cute little compliment, but I'm definitely calling buffoonery on that. Yeah, I think it's too many. The wide receiver position is so talented to where it's hard to say, like, after one season, you're just going to ascend to a top 10 status. I mean, you have – I'm sorry to interrupt, but, yeah, you got to be like a Justin Jefferson who breaks all these rookie receiving records. Jamar Chase is somebody who has just been playing lights out. Like, you got to be one of those guys. And, I mean, even with those two guys as you just mentioned, like, they've been amazing. But would you still consider them top 10 over guys like – Keenan Allen, um, DK Metcalf, may potentially DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, uh, Mike Evans. I wouldn't. I I, I still wouldn't. And they've yeah. had amazing seasons thus far. And because to me, in order to put yourself in the quote unquote top ten place, you have to do. You have to be productive for over a span of a couple seasons. Yeah. Like yes, Justin Jefferson had an amazing rookie season. And he's still producing at a at a higher a higher than um normal right now, but he's had a drop off. And Jalen Waddle, like yes, he's been a he's had good moments, but he really hasn't been consistent. He's been their best wide receiver, but he's had flash plays and not consistency throughout the course of the season. So I think he does have the potential to be a top top fifteen level of talent. I do think he needs to. They need to get him a different quarterback, probably Deshaun Watson, for to really reach that level of um, success. With as far as a receiver standpoint, but as far as next season goes, I gotta say buffoonery. Yeah, and kind of. I will say this though. Right now, I would take Justin Jefferson over DK Metcalf. No disrespect to DK. But yeah, but everybody else, yeah, no, I totally understand. I mean, it's about consistency. Like anybody can look good for a year. It's a whole nother thing to do it year in and year out. Like the guys you mentioned, they have been doing it for a long time. So yeah, no, I think it's gonna take a lot more than that. And I mean, if we're being honest, I wouldn't. I would say maybe right now, Jalen Wall is like the third best rookie receiver. Because I would say Jamar is in a class of his own. Then Devontae Smith has been really balling out these last few weeks, and then. Jalen Waddle is cool. He's been getting a lot of targets and receptions, but, like, in terms of doing much with them, he hasn't because 35 of his yards came on one play. So I'm not really drinking the Kool-Aid on uh, on uh, Jalen Waddle just yet. But, all right, moving on, let's talk about a team that everybody seems to be drinking the Kool-Aid on, the Green Bay Packers, who Jeff Saturday said the Packers are the best team in the league right now, believable or buffoonery. Yeah. But the Rams, they've shown some signs of mortality. They lost to my Tennessee Titans, a undermanned team. Then they lost to a superior, superiorly less talented um, 49ers team. But the Packers, they have, they have, in my opinion, they're one of the better balanced teams in the NFL. Like their defense, their defense isn't a superbly great defense, but they're good enough, in my opinion, to win a championship. They have a running game with a two-headed attack of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, who's been stepping up in, I think, his second year in the league. And you, you always, when you have Aaron Rodgers, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and you have Devontae Adams, who's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So I think for right now, I would have to say I'm, I'm believing in Kool-Aid. 
Yeah, and I think the hard thing about this season more than others is, like, it's just been so unpredictable. Like, I know the phrase, any given Sunday, and it's true, but, like, this season, literally anybody can lose any given Sunday. And, like, for it seems like every time, like, a team gets a lot of hype around them, they lose. It happened with the Bills. It happened with Baltimore. It happened with um, Tennessee. It happened with um, the Rams, the Bucks, everybody. Like, so it's been weird to, like, anoint somebody as that top team. But I think for right now, yeah, it's hard to really go against the Packers because I was in agreement with you. I would have said the Rams had they won on Monday. But, I mean, like you said, the Packers have been very balanced. They've been doing what they've needed to do. Probably in saying this, I might have just jinxed them for this week's game. But, yeah, I think right now I would go that route. But then again, it's just you could you could make a long list of pros and cons for all teams this year. Like, and I think this is the first time it's been like that in a very, very long time. But all right, let's go ahead and make our week 11 game pick. Starting off with tonight's Thursday night football game, a rematch of one of the most embarrassing Super Bowl performances I've ever seen. The New England Patriots taking on the Atlanta Falcons. I got Patriots. All right, the San Francisco 49ers versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. This may be a bit of a surprise, but I'm going to go Jags. I'm going with 49ers. Washington football team versus the Carolina Panthers. I know it's going to be pretty much the former Carolina Panthers reunion. Of course, you got Cam. You got um, Cam, Ron Rivera. Um, oh, my gosh. Curtis Samuel. A lot of faces, but I'm going Washington. I'm going Carolina. Green Bay Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings. I'm still picking the Packers, even though I might have jinxed them. I'm going Packers well. All right, duh. Detroit Lions being hosted by the Cleveland Browns. I will say the Browns better win this game, um, but we'll see. I'm going Browns. Buffalo Bills taking on the Indianapolis Colts. I got Bills. I got Bills as well. New Orleans Saints versus the Philadelphia Eagles. This is another kind of just toss-up game, but I think I'm going to go with the Saints. I'm going Saints. Uh, Miami Dolphins versus the New York Jets. I got Dolphins. I got Dolphins. Baltimore Ravens versus the Chicago Bears. I hope that my Ravens win. Yeah, I got the Ravens. Tennessee Titans versus the Houston Texans. Now, this is definitely a game the Titans should win. But then again, yeah. you know how this yeah. season's been. I got Titans, but who knows? Cincinnati Bengals versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I think this is going to come down to the wire, but I'm going Bengals. I'm going, I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go Bengals. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Dallas Cowboys. I know the Cowboys are better right now in terms of record, but I have a hard time picking against the Chiefs right now. Yeah, I got the Chiefs. Arizona Cardinals versus the Seattle Seahawks. I want to say Seahawks so bad, but it's looking like uh, Kyler Murray is supposed to be playing, so I got Cardinals. All right, Sunday Night Football, the Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Low-key, I think this is going to be another Steelers home game, but I got Chargers. Uh, I got Steelers. I think they're going to pull it out. I could see that. All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the uh, New York Giants. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive 
and rookie players we are watching this week as well as our team call out. So starting offensively for me, I'm saying Tom Brady. Last week was not his greatest performance, and I think that not only does he want to bounce back, but he especially wants to bounce back against the New York Giants. I mean, losing two Super Bowls to a team will do that to you. For me, I'm going to say Russell Wilson. He he got shut out for the first time in his career last week. I understand that he went into the game from the rest after not playing for what maybe a month. Yeah. Um, but I think that he can come back and he can knock. He's not that rest off, and he's going to continue to have it. The show that he normally puts on, and maybe get a W against a good Cardinals team. Hope so. All right, defensively, I'm watching Trayvon Diggs personally. Wow, what, seven, eight interceptions is impressive. I'm not going to sit here and act like I think Trayvon Diggs is a top five corner. Top ten is even pushing it. But he's going to have a real test on Sunday going up against Tyreek Hill, who we know is a blazer. This will be an opportunity for him to show he's really that dude if he can help shut down uh, Trayvon Diggs in this offense. I mean, I Trayvon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I'm also going to be looking at Trayvon Diggs for everything that you just stated. Like you said, he has seven or eight interceptions. That's cool. But you're going up against a Chiefs team that seems to have found their mojo, and you're going up against arguably the fastest wide receiver in the NFL and Tyreek Hill, so it's going to be a tough matchup. All right, and then my rookie I'm watching is Devontae Smith. Like I mentioned with the uh, Eagles and Saints game, it could really go either way, but I do think that if the Eagles are going to have a chance, they're going to need another standout performance by Devontae Smith. Yeah, for me, the rookie I'm looking at is Najee Harris, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that when you're in the game against a team with a high-octane a high octane offense like the Chargers, you're going to have to be able to run the ball to slow that offense down, and I think that they're going to rely heavily on them throughout the course of this game. I can see that. And then the team I'm calling out, obviously Baltimore, with this past loss, we I want to put that behind us. I want to have a dominant performance. No disrespect to the Bears' offense, but the Bears' offense has not been good this year. We should be able to exploit that. Yes, they have a very talented defensive player, such as Roquan Smith, who's a dog. Um, of course, Khalil Mack. Um, oh, my gosh. Akeem Hicks. They have talent, but we should not have another crappy performance like we just had. So, Baltimore, I'm definitely calling you out. Uh, for me, I'm calling out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had a poor performance against the Washington football team, and I think that that's one of those type of things where they should um, bounce back because the Giants, they have a pretty decent defense themselves, and this is one of those things to where it's like, hey, it could be another trap game. Yeah, because those trap games have definitely been happening. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways. Um, I'm reiterating what I said. I believe I said last week. Stephen Curry is the best player in the NBA right now. Um, My second takeaway is the Golden State Warriors are the best team in the NBA. And... um, my third takeaway is if Steph Curry, so far, if Steph Curry doesn't win MVP, it should be DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan has actually been balling out, which is a beautiful thing to see because 
Love my boy Demar. Should have been a Laker, but that's neither here nor there. All right, let's go ahead and talk our Mamba Players of the Week. Um, coming out of the Eastern Conference, I'm actually going to say Demar Derozan. I mean, you and I kind of talked about kind of being worried about how he would mesh and fit in with the Bulls, but so far it has been going very well. I mean, this past week had two 35 plus point games, just dropped 22 last night. Overall, it has just been a really good fit for the uh, Bulls, and I mean. When you think of the Mamba, you think of taking over a game with your scoring attack, and that's precisely what DeMar has been able to do. Yeah, for me, my Eastern Conference player is also DeMar DeRozan for everything that you just stated. Um, he, he cited that a lot of his resurgence came from a lot of people saying that he was washed and that he wasn't the same player that he used to be in Toronto, and he's shown it. And that's, in my opinion, that's one of the most Mamba-like things is taking the criticism of people and using that to fear you to a better performance on the court. And then my Western Mamba, we're just going to repeat from last week. I'm going Steph Curry, pretty much like you said. Another week, another great performance is by Steph Curry, so he's definitely my Mamba out the West. Yeah, it's Steph for me as well. All right, and then my rookie Mamba of the week. Um, we'll get to it in a second with regards to a big rookie injury. But I'm going Cade Cunningham. Like I said, for every rookie, it's going to be a bit of a slow burn for them to get inaugurated into the game. But the last couple of games from Cade Cunningham have been pretty good. Had a career-high 25-8-8. Eight and eight. Um, Really just showing that he's kind of getting into the ebb and flow of things of the NBA. Sure, nobody's expecting the Pistons to do much, but Cade has become very fun to watch. Yeah, I'm also in agreement with you with Kay Cunningham. He's he's shown that he stepped in and he's able to he's kinda of adjusted to the NBA game. Yes, I think he the only downside to him so far is he might need to be a little bit more efficient as a scorer, but you aren't expecting that out of the gate from a rookie from a rookie guard. But he's put he's put on some pretty impressive performances so far. Most def. All right, so let's look at some injuries. Um, full guard, combo guard for the um, Atlanta Hawks, DeAndre Hunter, is going to be going un undergoing surgery for a tendon injury in his right wrist and is expected to miss approximately two months. And then, like I mentioned with the rookie injury, Evan Mobley will miss the next two to four weeks with a right elbow sprain. All right, in your opinion, Ethan, losing Evan Mobley, who had really been – the um, Cavs star performer this season. Just talking about what this means for the Cavaliers. Um, I think this means that they're going to be in a in a place of flux because I think he was a he kind of was becoming the focal point of their offense. You looked up and you saw multiple occasions he had anywhere between seventeen to twenty points a game. Um, and he was a key factor on defense where he you would look up some games and he would have a total of four blocks. And that, this means that now you're probably going to have to have a smaller lineup because the Cavs were running a lineup with three seven-footers with Jared Allen at the five, Evan Mobley at the four, and Lori Markin at the three. I feel like this means you're going to have to slide Lori Markin into the four, and then you're going to have to put someone at the three. And now you're going to have to go back into relying on Darius Garland and Colin Sexton as your primary um, scorers. I think Colin Sexton is still out. Oh, that's right. I forgot. But still, you're going to have to rely on Darius Garland. And um, he he's shown flashes, but he hasn't been the most consistent of guys as far as a, um, as far as a, point, a game-to-game basis of being a top scorer. 
Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that this is a big blow for the Cavs. Once again, not a team that everybody's expecting to be in the playoffs, but Evan Mobley had definitely been their most consistent performer uh, since the start of the season. So now you're just going to have to rely on guys who you really hadn't had to look at offensively to be those guys. Jared Allen, I'm sure, is going to see a lot more production um, in the post. Lori Marketing is probably going to get more opportunities and then Darius Garland, like you mentioned. So I think it's going to be interesting. I know the Cavs were showing some flashes, like you mentioned, this season, but I think it's going to be a bit different without having Mobley on the court. All right, but I mentioned it at the top of the show, but it seems like it's the end of the era in Los Angeles. Starting on Christmas Day, Staples Center will be no more. Instead, it will be called Crypto.com Arena. I want to say that it's been Staples Center since, what, 1999, something along those lines. So, Ethan, what are your thoughts on the new name? How long do you think it's going to take for you to not call it Staples Center? Because I know for me it's going to be a while. should name the new LA Clippers Arena. They should have given it that name once it gets built mm-hmm. and kept the Staples Center the Staples Center because that is a name with um a historic tie attached to it, especially with the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. And not only that, but I mean like Staples Center and then Madison Square Garden were like the two most memorable arenas for basketball like I remember FedEx Forum just because I lived in Memphis and mental Grizzlies games but like in terms of iconic arenas and iconic names those were the two that everybody really remembered so it's going to be weird not having it be called Staples Center like on the one hand it's kind of like it's a new era I guess but it's still like when I think Staples Center I think of my Lakers I think of Kobe I think of Shaq I think of repeating I remember like so many memories attached to the name Staples Center that's going to be weird to try to like get that out of my mind I wonder what they're going to call the new Inglewood Clipper Stadium because I know it's still a few years away but I get Staples like isn't that popular anymore it's not as much of a thing but I mean screw the actual store Staples you still could have called it Staples Center but all right, let's go ahead and move on to a couple of St. Louis kids. Both attended Chaminade. I know that because I'm from St. Louis and I watched them play in high school. Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal, who it has been no secret that the two are very good friends and hope to one day play on the same team. In fact, apparently Bradley Beal has been very instrumental in trying to recruit Jason Tatum to join the Wizards after their fast start this season. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. But, Ethan, in your opinion, would it be a better fit for Jason Tatum to join the Wizards or Bradley Beal to join the Celtics? I think it would be a better fit for Jason Tatum to join the Wizards because um, if you bring in Bradley Beal to a situation with the Celtics, for one, you you already have Jalen Brown there and he plays the two. So that means you would have to put Bradley Beal at the two, slide Jalen Brown to the three, and put Jason Tatum at the four, and that will uh, that will make you an undersized team defensively. And I think it will go it will go right back to the situation that the Celtics had maybe a couple seasons ago, where it was Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward, where it's so many it's, it's so many mouths that you have to feed, and I don't think that I think that the combination of Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal in Washington would be effective because those guys are best friends. I feel like they'll be able to make the necessary sacrifices to um, push the Wizards to a higher place than they are currently. 
Pharisees um Bradley Bill going to the Wizards and when you incorporate the fact that they have a they already have Jalen Brown there, like who's going to really like Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal might sacrifice, but who's going to say that Jalen uh, Brown's going to sacrifice? Because when you go into it, he's going to quote unquote be the third man that people are looking at, and he might not like that because he might be a prideful player. Yeah, especially with these past couple of years when he's gotten more comfortable becoming with one of those top scoring options, especially coming off of last year's season. But yeah, I agree with you. Right now, I would say the Wizards, especially because like excluding like the actual people who would be traded i think that overall the wizards right now have a lot more depth than the celtics do i think that their bench is more reliable and i think their players have kind of more so assumed their roles as opposed to what's happening with the celtics which is why they're having some uh struggles so with that being said i do think that the wizards would be a better overall fit i think that because it's not as many mouths feed not as many egos like spencer dinwiddie is a good player but he's not as I guess high profile as a player is Jalen Brown and with that being said so he wouldn't be that hurt about losing some touches I mean especially because some of his best years in Brooklyn came off him coming off the bench particularly when the year that uh, Kyrie was there he had a lot of success or when uh, D'Angelo Russell was there too so I think that it overall would just work better in Washington but all right let's go ahead and move on to Ben Simmons not as much talk has been made with regards to trades but it has been um, talks about mental health, and here at the X Report, we care a lot about mental health. Um, ben Simmons, uh, through his agent Rich Paul, told Shams uh, Chinaria that Ben Simmons believes that the 76ers want to deem him mentally fit to force him to play, regardless of how he feels. And Rich Paul added, either you help Ben or come out and say he's lying. Which one is it? A 76ers official said it's absolutely not the case that they are forcing Ben Simmons to return or accusing him of lying about his mental health. The team believes he should partake in team activities until there is information from their mental health professional or Simmons that would prelude him from playing. So Ethan, in your opinion, do you feel like it is wrong for the 76ers to, for lack of a better word, try to force Ben Simmons into playing if he's saying that he is not mentally ready? Um, I think so simply because the topic of mental health and just the whole stigma that's attached to it it's such a touchy subject and it's one of those situations to where it's like if you force him to play after he's voiced that he's having mental health issues you your organization will be looked at in a negative light and yes a lot of people are kind of on the side of the 76ers in this Ben Simmons saga but do you really want to um, jeopardize making your organization look like a bad guy? Because what if he does come out that he is actually suffering from actual mental health issues Then and you make him play, and then what, then what are you going to do? Like, you can't just say, like, oh, we issue a statement. We apologize for forcing Ben Simmons to play when he's in the midst of a, uh, a, mental, a mental health issue. Like, no. Like, you can do that, but fans and people in the world, they aren't going to accept it. So I think the best thing to do is just, I hate to say it, but bite the bullet and let him sit out. And it's not like on the court, it's on the court that is really negatively affecting you because Tyrese Maxey has stepped up greatly this season. Um, You still have, I know Joel Embiid is out out with um, COVID protocol, but when he was on the court, with everything else that you have in place, they were their top team in the East, record-wise. 
instead of trying to force this man to play, just let him sit out and potentially get all of it worked out and still just try to keep working on trade offense and scenarios. Yeah, because honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody can honestly say that going through all that Ben Simmons has gone through over the past few months would not affect your mental health. It is clear that you are in a city with some of the most rambunctious, yeah, and vicious fans, and you know they don't want you there. They don't want you there. They don't make jokes. I mean, hell, you you turn on the news and newscasters are making jokes about you, calling you trash, essentially saying they don't want you there. Yeah, like... It's clear that you are not in a place where you are wanted. Not to mention you know that your teammates really don't want you around regardless of what they say. The coach has pretty much made it evident he doesn't know if he can win a championship with you. And you've pretty much stated you want to be anywhere but Philadelphia. And I know that mental health is a very touchy thing, especially with regards to men, because I'm sure there are people who think that Ben Simmons is just being weak and he can't handle it. But honestly, like – if your mental health is not right, nothing else is going to be right. Because if anything, no. he's just going to be miserable on the sideline. It's going to affect his play because he's so miserable. And so it's just like, I understand from the 76ers' point of view, it's like, hey, you're, since you're going to be here, you might as well play. But I do think that mental health is definitely like in play. Like Not saying it's something really severe or something like to be monitored, but I'm sure that Ben Simmons is like, after the past few months, I'm sure that being in Philadelphia for him is not a healthy situation and not something that is making his life easier. So I can understand him not wanting to be there. And honestly, I don't blame him at all. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to believable or buffoonery. Let's talk about Giannis, who was recently asked in an interview about what's the next step for his career. He said, what's the next challenge? The next challenge might not be here. Me and my family chose to stay in this city that we love and has taken care of us for now. In two years, that might change. Believable or buffoonery, the Bucks should worry about Giannis leaving at the end of his contract. Um, I think they should be worried because I think Giannis is the type of guy, yes, he's all about loyalty, and the Bucks are showing him the greatest amount of loyalty throughout the course of his career. But I think Giannis is the type of guy to where it's like he likes to be challenged. He likes to he likes to um have the deck the deck stacked against him a little bit. And um I think for him he's shown he's proved that he can win a championship in Milwaukee. And that's the ultimate um that's the ultimate gift that he can give to the city of Milwaukee. And now he might look elsewhere to be like, hey, can I win one somewhere else? And so I think they should have a little bit of worry as far as him leaving. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, just because, especially once you're a great player, you don't want to just get complacent. Because, I mean, I'm sure Giannis could stay in Milwaukee for the rest of his career. And even if they don't win another championship, they'll just be happy to have him. But the thing about the great players are they want to keep winning. They want to keep getting better. They want to keep taking on new opportunities and new challenges. And, I mean, right now, I mean, he's conquered the challenge in Milwaukee. If any, you would have told anybody 10 years ago that the Bucks would win a championship, everybody would be like, you're full of crap or you're lying. But since that has happened, I mean, he's conquered one of the toughest challenges um, there. So with that being said, I think that I would be worried. I'm sure that they're going to try to do everything in their power to keep him there because I don't think Giannis is going to be somebody who is just going to go to 
a team that's just been winning forever. I think that he could probably go to a team that has kind of been struggling or maybe another uh, mid-major market team and be like, hey, I'm here. What can I do to help? So I could definitely see something along those lines taking place. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about the Sacramento Kings, something that not many people do. But it seems like they may be making a change at the top. Um, the Athletic reported that it seems that there is quite a bit of frustration with Luke Walton and his inability to get success with the Sacramento Kings, which means that he could potentially be fired at some point in the season. As of right now, the Kings are 11th in the Western Conference with a 6-9 and record, lost three of their last seven games. So, Ethan, do you believe a horrible foolery? It is time for the Kings to move on from Luke Walton. It is time for the Kings to remove on from everybody that's associated with the organization. Front office, owner, Luke Walton, because, and the reason I'm saying this is because they have a talented roster. You have a roster with De'Aaron Fox, who's shown that he's, uh, he's I wouldn't even say he's an up-and-coming point guard anymore. He's shown his value as a a high-level point guard. I think he, in last season and this season, he's averaging 20-plus points. You have a up-and-coming shooting guard in Tyrese Halliburton, who's shown that he can make, who's shown that he can make plays. You have Buddy Hill, who, throughout the course of him being in Sacramento, despite the um, the differences that Luke Walton's had with him, he's been a steady, productive force for them. And then you have a guy like Harrison Barnes, who's a consummate, um, who's a consummate professional and a good role player. But then you also have a guy like Marvin Bagley, who has all the talent in the world. Yes, he's had some injury, some injury concerns and some injury history in the early part of his career. But it's a divide between him and the organization. You guys drafted him as a top draft pick. And you go into the beginning portion of the season saying that he isn't even going to be in the rotation. And it's like, as a fan base, if I were a fan of that team, I would be like, so we drafted this guy and you're not even going to play him? And you know that the talent's there. So what are we doing? And that organization has been a very toxic and bad organization throughout the history. Honestly, in my opinion, ever since Chris Webber and Jake, um, Chris Webber and that team that played against the Lakers in the championship. Yeah. Like, they had talented teams with DeMarcus Cousins that could have made the playoffs. And they every year, just like right now, they will start off a house of fire. And then throughout the course of the season, they would, get, they would just shift the gear and go back to mediocrity. So I think they should remove the whole entire front office, the head coach, and maybe the owner as well, and start new. Yeah, because like you mentioned, I mean, the Kings, I, I don't want to say their organization has been a joke, but they have not had really any success since that um, uh, Western Conference uh, series against the Lakers. I mean, and it's not because they haven't had solid players. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins was the man when he was there. De'Aaron Fox is definitely the man now. They've had some really interesting and good players come through that organization. The problem is they have not really been able to lead that to any success. Is that all on Luke Walton? No, ex not exactly, but it also goes to the front office. Why aren't we bringing in better players? Why are we not better developing players? What? about this team is keeping it from being a winning organization. And I think that, like you mentioned, it goes much deeper than just Luke Walton. I think that there needs to be a lot of work done to make this team reputable 
or it's just going to be continue to be not even mediocre, just bottom of the barrel because nobody wants to, unless you're just looking for a paycheck and you're looking towards the end of your career, nobody's really looking at the Kings like a desirable free agent destination. What are you going there for? You're not going to win. You're not really going to have much reasons, you know, to play just because you're not getting a lot of media attention. You are what the least most talked about fourth honestly because you got lakers clippers warriors like no you nobody cares about you really outside of sacramento and even that's kind of pushing it so yeah like i think the kings i'm in a total agreement so i think they need a total rehaul they have to do something to change the tide and the thing is it's hard to say go through a rebuild because they've been rebuilding for 20 years so i don't know but yeah i agree i think that it it definitely goes well beyond just luke walton all right, but let's talk about the Lakers, another California team who are struggling right now. Um, following the Lakers' blowout loss to the Bulls and the team only scoring 12 points in the third quarter, Anthony Davis in the post-game press conference was candid and said, we suck. No defense can't score. We're not winning a championship the way that we're playing. Um, following this game, um, Stephen A. Smith also took made his comments known and said, I think LeBron's title run is over. Honestly, it's definitely not looking that good right now, but uh, believable or buffoonery, is, do you feel like it is too early to close the championship window for the Lakers? I think it is too early. I understand that they're going, to, going through a tremendous amount of struggles right now, but it's early in the season, and also LeBron hasn't been playing because he's out with injury. And I think that, you know, they're, they're hitting their lumps now. And maybe by the time the playoffs start, we don't know that this could be a completely different team. But we also know that LeBron has no issues with trading people, high-caliber players, um, at the trade deadline to actually make the team more old customary feet to him and the things that's needed to win a championship. A lot of people fail to realize that they had Dwayne Wade, they had Derrick Rose and Cleveland, and LeBron traded both of them. And Dwayne Wade is one of his best friends. Well, I'm not going to say LeBron did. The Cavs traded Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose, and Dwayne Wade is one of LeBron's best friends. And they, I think that year after they made their trade, that was one of the last times the the, the chaos made it to the finals, yeah. and that whole narrative changed. So I feel like it's too early to say like that window is completely closed, simply because it's so early in the season. But I will say that it is looking like that window is closing very fast. Yeah, and I mean, I think that when LeBron comes back, it is definitely going to help the Lakers. Apparently, he's fifty fifty to play tomorrow. Um, but realistically, I mean, LeBron is still getting up there in age. LeBron is what going to be thirty-seven this year. So I just think that while we know LeBron is dominant, we know LeBron is great. Clearly, he can't be expected to just come in and be the savior of an organization anymore. He needs the people around him to help him out. And right now, since he's been gone, it has not been much help happening with Russ and AD and the rest of the team. And then you can, that can just go back to looking at free agency and saying they shouldn't have made the moves that they made anyway. So I think that I agree. I think it is too early to close the window, but I do think that this year right now it's looking like a long shot for them to win the, an NBA championship. 
And I think that while they have the name talent and a lot of things could happen from now until the start of the playoffs, but for right now, it's just, it's going to be a real, real slow grind. All right, last piece before we make our game picks. Um, Steph Curry, like you mentioned, has been playing like the best basketball player in the league. And you know what? The Warriors owners feel conf- so confident about Steph that they said that Steph Curry will pass LeBron James in rings before the end of his career. Right now, Steph has three. LeBron has four. Believable or buffoonery, Steph will end up with more rings than LeBron when it's all said and done. I actually have some belief in that. Simply because I think that um, the window of opportunity is still a little bit more broad for Steph than it is LeBron. Like we're looking at, you know, they're the best team in the West right now, and they don't even have Clay Thompson back. Right. And this team is this this team is very resembling of the teams that they had pre Kevin Durant, where it was stealth. Draymond and once Clay returns, Clay Thompson, and they had a lot of key role players and key guys off the bench. Like right now, they have Jordan Poole, who's shown that he can be a productive scorer. And once Clay returns, all that means is you're going to slide Jordan Poole to the bench, and he's going to be a six man, which means he's going to get opportunities to get to score against. Um, second string level players and he in my opinion on a lot of teams he would be a starting caliber shooting guard outside of the Warriors um, then you have Kevon Looney who's, who has a championship pedigree they brought back Andre Godala who has won championships with them and been finals MVP for the Warriors you have them still developing young guys and Jonathan Kaminga Moses Moody and James Wiseman, guys that you could bring in to potentially make um, make some make some noise on that roster as well. So I think that his window for winning a championship is a little bit more broader than LeBron's. And so with that being said, I think he might actually either tie or win one more than LeBron. I think you actually hit it on the head with in terms of longevity. I mean, realistically, I think. If LeBron does not win a ring in the next two seasons, maybe, and I'm kind of pushing it when I say two seasons, I don't think it's going to happen. Whereas with Steph Curry and just how long basketball players have been staying, he's, what, 32, 33 right now? So who's to say he doesn't have at least a few more years in the tank? And especially with the way that he plays, I mean, his play style is very sustainable. You know, he's been one of those players who, like, we know he's going to pull up, he's going to score, and he's going to be a very dynamic player. And honestly, this is the best he's looked in years. So, yeah, I've, I see some definitely see some belief in it. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, with the trajectory that the Warriors are on right now, they could definitely um, tie – he could definitely tie LeBron this year, and it wouldn't uh, totally shock me. So, yeah, I, I see that there is some belief in it as well. All right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight, starting with the Washington Wizards versus the Miami Heat. I know Jimmy Butler's first game back was not the prettiest, but I think they bounced back and they get the Wizards tonight. Yeah, I got the Heat. Uh, Los Angeles Clippers versus the Memphis Grizzlies. This is kind of tough, but I think I'm going to go Clippers. Yeah, I think I'm picking Clippers as well. Golden State Warriors versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I got Warriors. San Antonio Spurs versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to go Spurs with the slight upset. I'm going Spurs. 
All right, Philadelphia 76ers versus the Denver Nuggets. I got Nuggets. I got Nuggets as well. All right, and Toronto Raptors versus the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. I got Jazz. All right, let's go ahead and for the first time in a minute, move on to the WWE. And all right, for the first time in what feels like forever, it is time for another WWE pay-per-view prediction. And this week it is going to be Survivor Series, which I don't know about you guys, but for me it feels like it just kind of crept up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm happening. But it should overall actually seems like a pretty good card, starting with the mid-card champions facing off the United States champion Damian Priest taking on Intercontinental champion Shinsuke Nakamura. For some people, this could be considered a dream match. I think that these are two of the most talented in-ring performers when given the opportunity. Unfortunately, in Nakamura's case, he's not getting many of those. Uh, But with that being said, I'm going Damian Priest. I think that Priest has been the champion that's been spotlighted more. Also, you can tell that they're trying to try this new tougher, like, I'm trying to kick everybody's ass who threatens me gimmick. And I think that that could be the case against Shinsuke. But overall, if they allow them to have some time, this could be a great match. Uh, Moving on to the battle of the tag team champions on the Raw side. You got RK-Bro versus the SmackDown tag champs, the Usos. Y'all know I love the Usos. Y'all know I love me some Randy Orton. Matt Riddle's great too. But... My heart is stuck in the Uso penitentiary. I got the Usos. Um, I'll be the first to say with work and just life stuff, I have not been able to keep up with SmackDown in almost three months. Um, But from what I've been paying attention to and able to watch, the bloodline is still in effect. And I don't think it would be a good look if the bloodline or at least two of its members were to lose in Survivor Series in a pay-per-view, a night full of brand supremacy. I got the Usos, plus I feel like um, RK-Bro, with all the tag team turmoil that's going on, they could potentially have their match interfered with, and so that could also give the Usos a win, but overall, I got the Usos. All right, moving on to a match that I think, considering all the back uh, stage heat, could be pretty interesting, and that is the bout between the women's champions on the Raw side. You got Becky Lynch, and on SmackDown side, we have my queen, Charlotte Flair. All right, with that being said and that beautiful introduction, you guys know how I don't like picking against Charlotte at pay-per-views just because Charlotte at pay-per-views. This time, I'm going to go against the grain, and I'm actually going to go Becky Lynch. Not because I want Becky to win, but Becky, she's only been back a few months. They're trying to, you know, get her back in the swing. I mean, prepping her for a feud against Liv Morgan. I'm sure they don't want her to look weak. This is another match that could potentially end in some sort of interference or maybe in a disqualification because right now these two former best friends actually don't like each other, which kind of sucks because I I like Charlotte. And Becky as friendship. But it is what it is. Um, But, yeah, I'm going Becky Lynch. As much as I would love to see Charlotte win and I would be kicking myself if she did end up winning, I still got Becky. Moving on to the battle of the big boys, the WWE and Universal Champion. Raw is being represented by, of course, Big E and SmackDown represented by our, notice how I said our, Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns. Yeah, I'm going Roman. Um... Biggie is great. I've enjoyed his title run thus far. But with that being said, there is no way I'm picking Roman Reigns to lose this match. Will he win clean? I would assume so. But also, there are so many shenanigans. Like I said, on the Raw side, this could be a match that ends 
um, with some sort of outside interference. You notice how besides one match I've said that, do better WWE. But, yeah, I got Roman Reigns. I think that just in terms of storytelling, like, it'll continue the dominance and his control over not just uh, SmackDown, but the WWE as a whole. Continue making the bloodline look like the bad MFers that they are. And continue the storyline as just with regards to Big E being a great champion. But he's always going to be Roman's favorite number two. I can't add Drew into that because he's in a match, like, a couple from here. So, just calm down. All right, let's go ahead to the coup de grace. What y'all came here for? The five-on-five elimination uh, matches, starting with the women's. Representing the Raw side, we got the EST, uh, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, Carmella, and Queens Lena versus SmackDown, Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Almost said Blackheart, but that's not her name anymore. Natalia and a to-be-determined wrestler. I'm recording this um, on Thursday. So, I have, of course, SmackDown hasn't happened yet. Um, but either way, I'm going Team Raw. Yes, there is dissension on both sides. So, it's not exactly like I can just say screw you. Um, but with that being said, I just think that right now, one, the Raw team is stronger just because you have former women's champion Bianca Belair, who is literally just kind of leaving the title picture. Rhea Ripley is still a bad mofo. Liv Morgan is the number one contender. And then you have the queen of the ring, Queen Zelina. Unfortunately, I feel like she's probably going to get eliminated early. But, I mean, she's still the queen. I want to see her have a good showing. And then kind of moving on to um, the SmackDown side of things, I, it's very clear that, like, half of the team does not like each other. I mean, Shotzi and Sasha have beef right now. And I think that with those issues and Shayna and Natalya, like, just tried to jump Sasha, I don't see that working as a winning team. In terms of dissension between the two, I think SmackDown has more problems with each other. And I think that's going to be the reason why uh, they take that L. Moving on to the 5-on-5 Men's Survivor Series match. Raw is going to be represented by Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and my main man, Austin Theory. And then SmackDown is going to be represented by Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, and a to-be-determined um, fifth member. This is kind of tough because, like I said, I've kind of been out of the loop for the last few months um, with SmackDown, especially since, like, the draft. I really can't tell you much of anything. But I'm going to go with Team Raw again. Yes, I'm a team. Yes, growing up, I was raw all the way. But this isn't even about that. I just think that, once again, I think those raw team is a bit stronger. I mean, Bobby Lashley, we know, is a powerhouse. Even though he's not in the title picture right now, he's hard to just ignore. Seth Rollins is number one contender for the uh, WWE Championship. Finn and Kevin could provide a little interesting something there just because Kevin just be finning the match on Raw and so that could cause be cause for concern I don't know but we shall see and for SmackDown I just think that like I said if we're comparing resumes I mean excluding Drew and like long-term Jeff Hardy not Jeff Hardy right now I just think that 
the Raw team would be the better choice. Um, but like I said, I have not been able to watch wrestling consistently in months. So who knows? I may be talking outside of my neck and not have any of these right. But those are my predictions for Survivor Series 2021. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to continue to support the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Thank you guys so much for listening. And um, you know the drill. Ethan's not here, so I'm going to say go Tigers. Go for him. Um, Go Titans. That's clearly not my affiliation, but this is for my brother Ethan. And um, go Grizz. Me, of course, you know what it is. Go Tigers, the real Tigers. You know we're not winning. Go Tigers, go, because my, my former school, of course. And Baltimore. I know I called you out, but please don't embarrass me like you just did last week. I want us to stay friends. I want to have another good rapport with one another. I know that the NFL is weird right now and like anybody's beating anybody, but come on now. We're not doing this two times in a week. But thank you guys so much, and we'll see you all next time.